0: Jumping in today, speaking of wardrobe, um, you may be like, uh, Pastor Luke, you have an incredible fashion accessory today. Thank you for noticing. These are my um, incredibly valuable, I would almost say priceless, but I think I'm gonna auction them later this week, um, my lucky socks. Um, So I I was fortunate enough, I got to play um, four years of college basketball. Uh, First couple years were okay. Junior year, rough start. Midway through junior year, I decided to mix it up a little bit. I mean, it used to be back in the day, long shorts, Small socks. So I'm like, hey, long shorts and tall socks. So I got these bad boys, put them on, and that game, I had the best game of my life. Career high in points, career high in rebounds, almost my career high in block shots. And I quickly became convinced, these are my lucky socks. Now, history would go on to prove that maybe I washed the luck out of them because that was, through the test of time, that was still my highest scoring game and my highest rebounds. But these are my lucky socks. Like, every time I put these on, they had a certain aroma that just didn't wash out. They had a certain feel that was pretty disgusting. But these were my lucky socks, and I was committed to wearing my lucky socks. So for nearly every game that, the rest of that year and all every game my senior year, these were my socks because they were lucky, even though they didn't help me play any better at another single game. In my mind, I'd wrap my head around, and I think many of us do, there has to be some force that we can believe in to help us get what we're really trying to accomplish. Now, truth be told, these are not my lucky socks. Um, I threw those bad boys away long, uh, long ago because the aroma just doesn't leave your room or your house, for that matter. Um, but the reality is, like I quickly realized, and it took me till after the season was over to realize that luck's not really a thing. I mean, for you, maybe you've got your lucky shorts or your lucky pregame ritual or your lucky practice in place. And for many of the people in our culture, like, and specifically in our part of the world, like, luck we treat as though it's a big deal. Like we treat it as a very endearing term. Like, hey, before you come back, give me a hug and, and let me tell you, good luck. Um, oftentimes people will tell me before I preach, hey, good luck. And for a long time I bite my tongue and now I'm just getting, like I'm turning to my grandpa, I guess. I'm getting old and bitter. And people will say, hey, good luck up there. And I'm like, luck has nothing to do with it. Like if I do a good job, it's because the Holy Spirit was working through me and I just got out of the way but we, we wanna tell people good luck. We, we want there to be a force that helps to guide and dictate our future. Best of luck to you. Go out there and have good fortune. But we don't just stop with luck being the force that we wanna believe is what's guiding our future. We, we, we do things, especially in our day and time, of, hey, just let your heart be your guide. That's a fun one, right? Like, just follow your heart. Do whatever feels good to you. If someone mistreated you and you feel upset about that, and your heart is starting to stir, then you need to re, like rearrange their face. Follow your heart. If if you if you're in a relationship and you've lost that loving feeling, whoa that okay. If you've lost the loving feeling, then your heart would say what you need to drop that zero and go find you a hero. Like just follow your heart and do what feels good. Let your feelings be your guide. Let them your emotions order your steps and just. Follow your heart. For, for much of the world, there, there's a force that some people put their trust in to let karma be their guide. And if you're just a good person, if you can outweigh the good that you do from the bad that you do, then good things will come back around to you because karma is supposed to be the reward of being a good person. And karma is a way of getting the best to come back to you. And I'm told in song lyrics that karma is a boyfriend, which I don't even know how. That makes sense, but it's what Taylor says, so I guess we'll listen And then the one that I think is like the deepest seated one here in these Midwestern parts. You've maybe said it, you've certainly heard it. Well, just trust your gut. Like supernaturally, your gut is what tells you how to move forward into the future. Now, I understand there are actually some Psalms that kind of give some context of God will use your bowels or your stomach to cause you to maybe um, realize that there's some caution ahead or your rumble tummy kind of causes you some rumble strips to know like, you ever had that before where, like, somebody says something and it, you heard it, but it made you sick to your stomach? We're, we're settled in the pit of your stomach? And, and I believe that God can use that, but I think way too often we give credit for just trust your gut when the reality is it's probably just a bigger indicator of what you thought had been in the fridge for a few days has been in the fridge for a few weeks, and your stomach is now trying to warn you hey, 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 don't get too far from the bathroom. Trust your gut. So as we dig into this series on the Holy Spirit, as we understand why Jesus made such a big deal about sending us the Holy Spirit, we'll jump back in right where we picked up off last week. John chapter 14, starting in verse 16, Jesus is speaking and he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. If you're a Bible highlighter or you like to draw circles and designs, leads into all truth is something worth remembering. Now, before we get into that, I wanna remind you that when when we translate the scripture, the New Testament came from the Greek and the Greek actually translates another into two different forms. One translation where we get the word another comes from the form of another of a different kind. So it might be like where there was a kingdom and another kingdom invaded and conquered that kingdom and it assumed a new king. And the new king was still king, but he was another form of king. He was a different kind of king. But the word that Jesus uses here to describe the advocate, another advocate, is the one that would mean another of the same kind. What he was saying was, I'm going to send someone who is just like me. We said last week, the Holy Spirit wasn't third on the list, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because he was the least important or the least in value. He was just simply the third to be revealed to us. So when Jesus says, I will send another advocate, he's saying, I'm sending another helper, another comforter, another guide, just like me. We said this last week, when the devil hears this, he didn't know it was coming, so when the devil hears this, Jesus has promised that I'm gonna send another just like me to be the personal presence of the God of the universe, to dwell in every one of Jesus' followers. You know the devil had to freak out a little bit like, I can't defend that. I can't put up a defense against that. I, I, I can't manipulate around that. So his best offense has been to create confusion around the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the confusion the enemy creates around who is the Holy Spirit, who, who he is. We've, we've created him as a dove and a force and a wind and a fire. He's symbolized by those things, but the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. One God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the, God the Spirit, all equal in power, equal in supernatural ability, equal in deity, one God in three persons. So the devil comes to create confusion. One of the ways he creates confusion is who the Holy Spirit is. One of the ways he creates confusion is who we trust to lead us. We just talked about it. Let your heart be your leader. Let your fate be your guide. Let good fortune lead you. Let your emotions play in. Let luck lead the way. Let your feelings be the thing. Let superstition be your leader. And if you just wear your lucky socks, you'll always play good. But the same God who through his breath placed the stars in the cosmos, the same God who says he created us In his image and likeness, the same God who knows the hairs, how many on each of our heads, he wants to personally lead you and me into all truth. I got to thinking about this this week and I saw a couple examples that reminded me. Have you ever seen somebody like, it's really big on Facebook, somebody will record a video of themselves in a generic form to say, hey, I just want to personally invite you. There's nothing personal about that, is it? Like they recorded it in front of a camera, maybe a camera operator, and try to make it sound like I've texted you individually. Dear Billy, hey Dave, made it personal. See, God wants to make it personal, personal. He knows the number of hairs on your heads. He wants to give you specific, unique instruction to guide you and me into all truth. Think about the weight of that statement that the God of the universe wants to personally guide you into all truth. Last last weekend we looked at one of the reasons the Holy Spirit came was to convict us. Not convict us and you have been found guilty, you have been sentenced, now you're about to be punished. No, he wants to convict us, which we understand means to convince us. The Holy Spirit came to convince us. If you turn to John chapter 16 and verse eight, Jesus reminds us of this. He says, He says, And when he, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Remember, we said that the world wants to believe if I just do more good than bad, I'll make the cut. I'll pass God's judgment. If I do more good things, if I'm a relatively good person, if I'm better than most people, then I should make the cut. But the Holy Spirit came to convict us, to convince us, to teach us the expectation, the qualification for the presence of the Lord is perfection, and I am nowhere near that. So I need Jesus. It wasn't conviction of condemnation. It was a conviction of, listen, we missed the mark, but God loves you so much, he made another way. And that through Jesus, we can be saved. We can be found in right standing with God. He came to convict us of our right standing with God. And when I know who I am and whose I am in right standing with the God of the universe, and he came to convict us of the judgment, that the enemy no longer has power and authority over my life, that the enemy has been defeated, and through Christ, I'm a new creation. An heir to the throne. And the enemy no longer has power over me. So Jesus continues in his explanation in John chapter 16 and verse 12. He says, to the gathering of people still talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, there's so much more I wanna tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is a different setting, but he's saying the same thing. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future, which is a great lesson in the process of discipleship. Jesus could have been like, hey, everybody gather around. This is it, it's near the end, I'm about to go away, and there is a whole bunch of stuff that you have not yet figured out. So I'm gonna tell you everything you need to know. Be prepared to take some good notes. This is gonna be overwhelming, but you got this. Put your listening ears on. And then for the next, I don't know, week, month, year, he unloads all of the truths that every disciple needed to hear. He could have. He could, when you accept Jesus as Savior, he could that very night as you go to sleep, just like the Matrix, he plugs in and downloads everything that you would ever need to know. And then you wake up the next morning fully illuminated with the truth of the Lord. He could, but he says he can't. And he can't wasn't because he wasn't prepared. He, He couldn't do it because it was something that was limited on his part. The limitation was we couldn't handle it. The limitation was even though the disciples had spent three years walking with him every single day, they couldn't handle all, hearing all the things they needed to hear and all the truth that was yet to be revealed and all the understanding that they needed to be able to apply in their life. We are the limitation. We can only take so much at a time. There's no chance we could handle all of that. So Jesus says, you, you can't bear it now, not as an insult of our intelligence, but as an understanding of the process of transformation is to learn and take a step and learn, and take a step, and learn, and take a step. And maybe we mess it up, and God's got grace for that. So we learn from our mistake, and we take a step. It's, it's this unraveling, or this unveiling, it's this, this pouring it all out into bite-sized pieces that we can understand the truth. I'm sending the spirit of truth to you, and when he comes, then he'll start to explain, then he'll start to teach, then he'll start to guide you to continue to grow in your understanding. Now, I fully understand this, and I get this, and I've had lots of counseling sessions around this. How much easier would living the Christian life be if we just got up in the morning and we received a text from Yahweh? Here is today's to-do list. That would be so easy, right? Like, we could just get up, here's God's personalized text message to me. I'm gonna start my day at 6.45. God, are you crazy? It's my day off. Okay, I get it. I'll sacrifice for the kingdom, and then here's the seven or eight things that I need to accomplish in the day. I always used to joke with young people. Wouldn't it be great if you walk outside first thing in the morning and written in the clouds is is a message that you can only interpret. No one else, they could see it, but they didn't know what it meant. But to you, you could understand, here is what's on your document today. Like how incredible would that be that God wrote a personal message for me in the clouds? Here's the thing with both of those scenarios. Zero faith is required. And really we've just become robots who are fulfilling our commands. And that's not God's means of operation. Instead, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, and he is my personal guide. You can't understand all the truth now. You can't bear to hear everything I have for you today, but as you continue to walk with me, I'll send the Spirit to you. It's good that I go, because he will guide you personally. But God doesn't say, hey, welcome to the family, now figure life out on your own. He doesn't say, welcome to the kingdom, my brothers and my sisters, my sons and daughters. Now just wander around until you figure out what you're supposed to do with your life. Jesus says, I have come to send you another advocate, one who is just like me, and he will show you the future. He will tell you what's to come. He'll tell you where you are. How? We learned this last week. Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of truth wants to to teach us what God thinks, what God feels, and what God does. And then what's that show us for the future? What, What we should think what we should feel, and what we should do, which then in turn teaches us where we should go, what we should say, and what we should do. Paul, the apostle Paul, comes along later in the scriptures, and he, he continues to unpack for followers of Jesus this understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Galatians chapter five, he writes this as an explanation of this is what it's like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, starting in verse 16. Paul writes, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature, which we'll talk about in just a second, the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, now we said this last week, the Holy Spirit is not a force, but because of his power, there are forces at work. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your own good intentions, but you're directed by the Spirit. And when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation of the law of Moses. Now, let me pause on that for real second because it feels like it was a pretty good flow and then Paul just drops this little nugget in about the law of Moses. This Understanding this a little bit deeper. So in this, in this letter to the church in Galatians, the Christians in Galatia, Paul would unpack that when you become a follower of Christ, that you are adopted as an heir to the king, that you are sons and daughters to the king, to our God. That is, through our faith, through Jesus, we've been adopted into his family. Let me expand. it. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, gives a very clear explanation of this. Verse 14, Paul writes, for all who are led by the Spirit are, are children of God. So, so if you're led by the Spirit, this is the evidence that you're a child of God. So I've told you before, I grew up on a farm, and growing up on the farm means that you work on the farm. And if you work on the farm, then you understand that the payment for working on the farm is you get room and board. Like, that's just how it works. So my dad, on top of being a farmer, I actually owned a business where he built farm construction, or did farm construction, like built grain elevators and grain storage units. And because of that, at a very young age, I got to be part of the family business. Now, different seasons of time when we get really busy, my dad would hire other workers to come in and help out. And for the most part, they were really good guys. But even at a young age, I could realize that there was something different between me and the employees. The employees were good at doing the checklist, about completing the task, about doing the thing they were paid for, but my approach was, this is the family business. And every time I go to work, I'm representing the family. And every time I interact with a customer, I'm representing my father and the family. You could say it like this, there was a different spirit about them than there was about me. It didn't make them bad people, but they treated this as a job And I treated this as though I was part of the family business. An easy example would be, there were a couple guys whose assignment was where they would go into the shop and on their way out, if they were the last one there, they would power down all the equipment and turn the lights off. But if the last guy to leave the shop, that wasn't on his job description, that wasn't of the company rules was for him to go around and do that, he would just leave and leave all the lights on, leave all the power turned on. Now, it was never in my job description, but if I was the last one to leave the shop, I would make sure to go around and shut everything off that I could because I knew that if the company was wasting money, then the family was losing Money. There was a different spirit about how we approached it. It wasn't just about accomplishing the task or completing the job description or following the company rules. This was the family business. I wanted what was best for my family. I wanna be, be able to do what's right for my dad. I wanna be able to do what's right by my dad. When you realize and I realize that we are children of the God of the universe, when we realize that we're heirs to the kingdom. I'm not motivated by fulfilling the checkboxes on my job description. When I realize that the Abba Father, that God is my Father, that I am a child of God Almighty, I'm not motivated by, hey, follow the company rules. I'm motivated by, well, let's do what's best for the family. Let's do what's best for the kingdom. So, so it's not that I was under, I had to oblige to, or I was free to do whatever under the law of Moses. No, it's a far greater responsibility. My job isn't just to check the list and to do the company rules, but to represent the king. So Paul would continue in verse 25 as he explains, so since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. And that's, I think, where most Christians fall. For the most part, we are aware of who the Holy Spirit is, that Jesus sent him to be our advocate, to be our guide, to be our comforter, all the great things that he comes with. But then when we read the part about being led by the Holy Spirit in all parts of our life, there's a tension. I am good to let the Holy Spirit lead me in how I serve. And I'm good to let the Holy Spirit lead me in what I do over here and how I phrase things and how I encourage people. But you know what? I've really been trying to date this person and they're not a godly person. They don't really know who Jesus is, but they're so cute. So I'd like to keep this business for myself. I'll trust the Holy Spirit and his guidance over here, but I'm gonna handle this business on my own. Or or you know what, I started this business and I've started saving some money and I'm preparing for retirement and I was trusting God, but I don't feel like my 401k was building quite as quick as I thought it would. So I'm actually gonna take some of this money back and I'm gonna say, God, you can lead me in these areas of my life, but I'm gonna control my finances if that's okay with you. It's probably not, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Like we separate this out and say, God, I'm gonna trust you to lead parts of my life, but there are parts of my life that I would like to be the CEO of, that I would like to be the one in charge of. And I don't really trust your, your pace or your intent or, or what you're doing. It's this tension that Paul would talk about of, 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 of being pulled by the force of our, of our flesh or our sinful nature or, or being motivated and inspired and moved by the Holy Spirit. Our, our sin nature are those, those feelings of pride, those feelings of selfishness, those feelings of lust or envy, that I want this for me and I want this for my benefit and I want this to happen the way that I want it versus surrendering all the parts of my life to be led into truth. So today, I want you to know this is not an exhaustive list. These are not all of the ways that the Holy Spirit intends to guide us, but here's three things that I think might be a reminder, might be new information, three the most common, and I would argue some of the most powerful ways that the Holy Spirit intends to guide us. Number one, if you're taking notes, he guides us by reminding me of what Jesus has said. We get it, right, that morning text would be so, so helpful. Hieroglyphs in the sky, written in clouds, would be amazing. But most often, the way the Holy Spirit guides us through the truth is through what Jesus has already said. Through what Jesus has already said. John chapter 14, verse 26, you might remember from last week. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything. And remind you of everything that I have told you. These aren't separate thoughts. These aren't compartmentalized in different areas. This is both teaching you what you need to know and often by reminding you what Jesus has already said. How many times have you thought, or maybe even said, I read this in the Bible and I just didn't understand? What's the primary role of a teacher? to help us to understand, right? When a teacher is showing us how to do long division, it's not that we can solve the problem, it's that we can understand how we solve the problem. It's to understand what we're doing. The Bible is too difficult, pastor. The Bible was written thousands of years ago. I don't really feel like it's as relevant to me as what you tell me that it is. There are times where I read the Bible and it just doesn't make sense to me. And I would argue that if that's the case for you, we've taken, remember last week, we've taken the comforter, folded him up real nicely and set him over in the corner of the bed that if the primary role or one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and to remind us that we ought to take some intentionality to look at what Jesus has already said, to think about it, or scripture would say to meditate on it, that the Holy Spirit can help us to understand it. There'll be times where you read a passage. There are times where I read a passage, and then I don't. I read about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. And then months later, I read in Galatians chapter 5, And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit takes what I learned a couple months ago and what I just learned today and gives me a much clearer, fuller picture of who the Holy Spirit is. It's that the Holy Spirit can take what God has taught you. It's what Jesus has already said. And through studying the scripture, not just reading it because the Bible plan says I'm supposed to read these four passages today, but reading with an intent, with reading and with with meditation to say, God, I read it, now help me to understand it. And it's crazy when we pray prayers like that, that God doesn't bring somebody into your life to preach a sermon about what you're reading about or to teach you a lesson, or to give you an analogy, or to fold up a fancy blanket on the stage and something clicks, and he helps explain something that I didn't understand, to remind you of what Jesus has already said. Now, let me just try to give you a real life example. Um, You don't have to say it out loud, just raise your hand. Who here remembers who the third president of the United States was? Two history teachers, three history teachers, perfect. Now, okay, let me try to give you some context. Um, you went to fifth grade, you took social studies, his name was Thomas, oh, all of a sudden half the church knows. But well, what's the difference? I gave you something to remind you of the truth that you already knew. Which is easier, to be reminded of something that you learned for some of us 30, 40, 50 years ago, and probably haven't revisited since, or to learn something for the very first time? One of the reasons that I encourage people so strongly to always be daily in the Bible is not because every day you're gonna read something and be like, boom, I can apply that today. Some days you can and it's magnificent. And some days you read it and you're like, I don't know what to do with that. Think about it, pray about it. And when you need it, the Holy Spirit will remind you. Remember when you read that story about Moses? Remember when you heard that story about Joshua? You remember when, when Paul was faced with these trials and he still found joy in his circumstance? Because it wasn't in his circumstance, it was in who was in his circumstance? When, when you meditate on the word, this is why I love it. It's one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 119 and 11. It, it, I'll, I'll read it just so you know I'm not lying to you. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart. That means I have read it, I meditated on it, and I sealed it in here. And somewhere down the road, I'm trusting that when I need this, when I need to learn this, when I need to make this decision, the Holy Spirit is gonna remind me maybe something I read 30 years ago for this very moment. It always amazes me. And if this is you, God bless you. I'm mad at you. It always amazes me when people talk about like, so one day I decided to pick up the Bible and I opened it up and it's like the words were jumping out off the page and the word of God became alive to me. Good for you. That's not how it works for me. God doesn't talk to me like that. When I read, I have to study. I have to read the notes. I have to understand the context. I got to put the whole story together so I can fully grasp what the word is saying. good for you, it doesn't work for me. There's people that I talk to, and man, every time they do, I feel like I'm a little bit less spiritual than them. I I feel kind of down on myself. People that I'll talk to and be like, I was struggling with this, and I was really trying to wrap my head around it, and I was like, God, show me the answer. So I plopped my Bible down, and it opened up, and my eyes fell on verse two of chapter four, and I read it, and man, God answered my question right like that. So this week, I'm trying again. Like, I've tried it hundreds of times. It never works, but Valentine's Day's coming up, and Katie's had a long year, so I'm like, I'm gonna find a passage for her that really encourages her and the year she's been through and this new season she's starting in. So I plop down my Bible. It opens almost to the middle. Boom, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15 says, A quarrelsome wife is annoying as a constant drip on a rainy day. I'm like, Well, we'll see how this goes. See how good my Valentine's Day is. Don't overlook this, don't underestimate this. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to remind us of what Jesus has already told us. There is a depth of maturity in there to know that I can store his word in my heart and that when I need it through a sermon, through an analogy, through a worship song, through a friend, through rereading of a devotion, that God will remind us through his spirit so I've hidden my word that he can guide my path. Number two, he will guide us with peace of mind and heart. And I wish I could camp out here for a minute, but I'm just gonna touch on it and skim on and we'll move past it. Yes, the choices of our day would be so much easier if we got that text from Yahweh in the morning. Hey, sweetheart, daughter, princess, whatever God calls you, prince maybe, hopefully. Hey, I'm, I'm so sorry, you only got four hours of sleep last night with your toddler up screaming all night long. Like, but hey, we can still redeem the day. Here's the three things on your agenda. If you do this, it's still gonna be a great day. And I say that jokingly, but I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations with people that I believe to be very mature in their faith who would say things like, I'm just waiting for God to tell me what to do next. Like I'm gonna sit back on my hands and just watch And I'm not taken away from, sometimes the Holy Spirit will in fact prompt you, nudge you, speak to you very specifically about something to do or to say or to give. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is very specific in the nudge to to not do something, to step away from something, to, to quit doing something, to rest from something, or in my case, often to shut up and stop speaking. But the Holy Spirit sometimes gives you the nudge, gives you the command, But more often than not, if I was to reflect on the number of times in my life where I've been confident this was a guidance, through through the guidance of the Holy Spirit in my life, it wasn't through an audible voice from the heavenlies that spoke to me. It was through understanding that this is what God has already said. And as I step out in faith to do it, I feel a peace about it. I'll give you a real life example. I sit right there every Sunday morning during worship before I preach. And every Sunday morning, I consider running to the bathroom to throw up. Because I get real nervous about coming up here and misrepresenting our Savior to you. I get real nervous about standing in front of people. I'm the kid, I think I've told you before, who used to fake sickness on speech days in high school. But even in my nervousness, there's a peace to know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm, I'm supposed to just stand on stage and get out of the way and let God speak. It doesn't mean, having this instruction from the Holy Spirit doesn't mean it's just gonna be oh, all kinds of rainbows and daisies and just be so beautiful and magnificent all the time. There are times where even in faith, I step through my nerves into what I know God's called me to do and how I know that God's called me to do it is because of the peace that comes with it. So many Christians wait for God to give me a specific instruction and he's already given us so many instruction and I believe the gentleman that he is is just waiting for you to say, Well, God, there's this person over here in need and I don't know that I should be generous. Should I give to them? God, I'll wait for you. And God's like, I already told you to live a generous life. And when we step out in faith and we feel the peace about, yeah, I can help them. I don't know what they're gonna do with the money I give them. I don't know what they're gonna do with the goods that I give them, but I'm obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit because God has already said this. The most significant times I've seen the Holy Spirit move in my life is when I saw a need, I became aware of an opportunity, I realized that I can do something to make a difference and rather than waiting for God to say once again, hey, I'm still calling you to do it, I to simply step out in faith and know through the peace of the Holy Spirit that this was the right thing to do. We read it already, John 14 and 26, so just as a reminder. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you Now, the very next sentence, these aren't two separate thoughts. The very next sentence, he says, Jesus says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. Now, there are practices that we can put in place. There are exercises that we can do. There are thoughts we can bring on. There are things we can read. There are words we can say. There are songs we can listen to that can help facilitate us finding a moment of peace. There are breathing exercises that we can learn to do to help bring about a peace among us. But if our peace is founded in a song or an experience or an environment, what happens when that song, that experience or that environment changes? Peace goes out the window with it. Jesus offers this peace through his spirit, a lasting peace, a sustainable peace that only he can provide. And when we're being led by the spirit, we'll know that peace. In fact, I'll say this and I wanna preface it with this. When I say this, this is not intended to shame you if this isn't where you are because I realize that, that we go through seasons and we go through difficult times and we go through challenges. But if we're following the guidance of the Spirit, our default should be at peace. It, it shouldn't be a crazy day when it was a very peaceful day. As a follower who has yielded all parts of my life to following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it ought to be a freak day or a, a, a maybe a distress distracting day or maybe a a day that I didn't expect when I didn't experience peace. It, It ought to be that when I'm following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, my default is to be at peace. Again, that's not meant for shame if that's not where you are. That's just a reminder that the God of the universe who knows you and loves you personally wants you to walk in his peace every day and every moment of your life. These are the indicators. And in fact, I would I often offer this. I think one of the greatest indicators of our maturity in our faith in the depth of our faith is, is when, when circumstances that are unfavorable arise. I may not like this. I may not enjoy this, but I still can live in the peace. It's the peace that Paul writes about so often. Even while imprisoned, I can be at peace because I'm walking in line with the Holy Spirit, which I think is also a great indicator of when we step outside of something or move something outside of God's will or God's perfect timing. You're, you're about to say something to someone and you're, you're about to open your mouth and just as you start to open your mouth, there's a disturbance in the peace. <laughs> Let me just chew on this for a little bit before it comes out. You ever been there? Uh, I'm often there on the backside of like, I wish I would have listened to that little voice that was telling me to be quiet. Or maybe for you, it's, it's the Holy Spirit checking you of hey, I know you're really angry right now but before you say something, walk away. No, we're gonna settle this right now. No, it's, it's time to walk away. That thing you're about to say, it might be accurate, it might be truthful, but it's gonna be hurtful and it's gonna receive in a way, make it real. You might have your very own prodigal son. And you know that there is truth that you need to share with them. But it might not be the right time for you to share it. And if you start to just push through with, I gotta share this with them, they might put up their defenses and you push right through that wall, right past the peace, and it gets messy and you start a fight. It's the right thing, Maybe not the right time. But you might have a coworker who you know, they need to hear this. I have got the truth that they need to hear and their life is just falling apart. They need me to weigh in and give this to them. You might be true, it might be the right time to do it, but your heart has become so hardened to them, your approach is gonna be way off. And the Holy Spirit says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You might be about to sign that document. And just as you pick up the pen and you start to write your name on there, you get a real quick like, ooh, what was that? It's not the Holy Spirit being Weird. That's God's reminder of, let me just spend a little bit more time praying about this. Let me spend a little more time researching this. Let me spend a little bit more time investigating this. Because the absence of peace in this situation might be God's way of indicating to you this isn't something you do. And let me just create a little tension in here. It doesn't mean that if if you don't feel the peace of the Holy Spirit that it's really leading you necessarily towards sin. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's leading you towards something that's completely wrong. sometimes it's simply a redirecting of God's timing or redirecting of the approach that God would have you to take. One of my favorite examples of this is in Acts chapter 16. So Paul, as we know, Paul was a missionary. He wrote so many letters to start the churches that we understand in the first century. Paul was traveling around as a missionary. What do missionaries do? They they preach the gospel. And this is after Jesus has ascended into heaven, which means it's after the instruction Jesus gives in Matthew 18, which was real simple. Go and make disciples of all the nations. We get that, right? All the all means all. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations. So Acts chapter 16, Luke tells us. He says, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area, Phrygia and Galatia, because the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching. Wait, what? We're supposed to preach the gospel into all the world, into all the nations. But the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time time jesus gave the directive go and preach the gospel in all the nations go and make disciple in all of the world now i'll be real honest immature luke we're getting that close to this province in asia and i feel a calling to go and to preach the gospel hey we're look how close we are guys we're going over here we would have pushed right through that piece and just called it obstacles of the enemy we would have pushed right through it and tried to accomplish my will instead of listening to the guidance of the holy spirit but Paul, being obedient to be guided by the Holy Spirit, knew we were not supposed to go over there yet. He didn't know why. Was it a different time he would come? Was it Peter and a different group of people would go and have more success than Paul ever would? Was it something different? He doesn't tell us, but what we know is because he was in step with the Holy Spirit, he knew this wasn't the time to make it happen. God gives us this peace. Jesus says this peace is a gift that the world can't provide. And sometimes this peace is... Jumping in today, speaking of wardrobe... Um, You may be like, uh, Pastor Luke, you have an incredible fashion accessory today. Thank you for noticing. These are my um, incredibly valuable, I would almost say priceless, but I think I'm going to auction them later this week, um, my lucky socks. Um, So I I was fortunate enough, I got to play um, four years of college basketball. Uh, First couple years were okay. Junior year, rough start. Midway through junior year, I decided to mix it up a little bit. I mean, it used to be back in the day, long shorts, long shorts. Small socks, so I'm like, hey, long shorts and tall socks. So I got these bad boys, put them on, and that game, I had the best game of my life. Career high in points, career high in rebounds, almost my career high in block shots, and I quickly became convinced, these are my lucky socks. Now, history would go on to prove that maybe I washed the luck out of them because that was, through the test of time, that was still my highest scoring game and my highest rebounds, but these were my lucky socks. Like, every time I put these on, they had a certain aroma that just didn't wash out. They had a certain feel that was pretty disgusting. But these were my lucky socks, and I was committed to wearing my lucky socks. So for nearly every game that, the rest of that year and all every game my senior year, these were my socks because they were lucky, even though they didn't help me play any better at another single game. In my mind, I'd wrap my head around, and I think many of us do, there has to be some force that we can believe in to help us get what we're really trying to accomplish. Now, truth be told, these are not my lucky socks. Um, I threw those bad boys uh, away long ago because the aroma just doesn't leave your room or your house, for that matter. Um, But the reality is, like I quickly realized, and it took me until after the season was over to realize that luck's not really a thing. I mean, for you, maybe you've got your lucky shorts or your lucky pregame ritual or your lucky practice in place. And for many of the people in our culture, like, and specifically in our part of the world, like, luck? we treat as though it's a big deal. Like we treat it as a very endearing term. Like, hey, before you come back, give me a hug and, and let me tell you, good luck. Um, oftentimes people will tell me before I preach, hey, good luck. And for a long time, I bite my tongue and now I'm just getting, like I'm turning to my grandpa, I guess. I'm getting old and bitter. And people will say, hey, good luck up there. And I'm like, luck has nothing to do with it. Like if I do a good job, it's because the Holy Spirit was working through me and I just got out of the way. But we, we wanna tell people good luck. We, we want there to be a force that helps to guide and dictate our future. Best of luck to you. Go out there and have good fortune. But we don't just stop with luck being the force that we wanna believe is what's guiding our future. We, we, we do things, especially in our day and time, of, hey, just let your heart be your guide. That's a fun one, right? Like, just follow your heart. Do whatever feels good to you. If someone mistreated you and you feel upset about that, and your heart is starting to stir, then you need to re, like rearrange their face. Follow your heart. If if you if you're in a relationship and you've lost that loving feeling, whoa that okay. If you've lost the loving feeling, then your heart would say, "What? You need to drop that zero and go find you a hero." Like just follow your heart and do what feels good. Let your feelings be your guide. Let them your emotions order your steps and just. Follow your heart. For, for much of the world, there, there's a force that some people put their trust in to let karma be their guide. And if you're just a good person, if you can outweigh the good that you do from the bad that you do, then good things will come back around to you because karma is supposed to be the reward of being a good person. And karma is a way of getting the best to come back to you. And I'm told in song lyrics that karma is a boyfriend, which I don't even know how. That makes sense, but it's what Taylor says, so I guess we'll listen And then the one that I think is like the deepest seated one here in these Midwestern parts. You've maybe said it, you've certainly heard it. Well, just trust your gut. Like supernaturally, your gut is what tells you how to move forward into the future. Now I understand there are actually some Psalms that kind of give some context of God will use your bowels or your stomach to cause you to maybe um, realize that there's some caution ahead or your rumble tummy kind of causes you some rumble strips to know like, You ever had that before where, like, somebody says something and you heard it, but it made you sick to your stomach? We're we're settled in the pit of your stomach? And and I believe that God can use that, but I think way too often we give credit for just trust your gut when the reality is it's probably just a bigger indicator of what you thought had been in the fridge for a few days has been in the fridge for a few weeks, and your stomach is now trying to warn you hey, 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 don't get too far from the bathroom. Trust your gut. So as we dig into this series on the Holy Spirit, as we understand why Jesus made such a big deal about sending us the Holy Spirit, we'll jump back in right where we picked up off last week. John chapter 14, starting in verse 16, Jesus is speaking and he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. If you're a Bible highlighter or you like to draw circles and designs, leads into all truth is something worth remembering. Now, before we get into that, I want to remind you that when we we translate the Scripture, the New Testament came from the Greek, and the Greek actually translates another into two different forms. One translation where we get the word another comes from the form of another of a different kind. So it might be like where there was a kingdom, and another kingdom invaded and conquered that kingdom, and it assumed a new king. And the new king was still king, but he was another form of king. He was a different kind of king. But the word that Jesus uses here to describe the advocate, another advocate, is the one that would mean one, another of the same kind. What he was saying was, I'm going to send someone who is just like me. We said last week, the Holy Spirit wasn't third on the list, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because he was the least important or the least in value. He was just simply the third to be revealed to us. So when Jesus says, I will send another advocate, he's saying, I'm sending another helper, another comforter, another guide, just like me. We said this last week, when the devil hears this, he didn't know it was coming, so when the devil hears this, Jesus has promised that I'm gonna send another just like me to be the personal presence of the God of the universe, to dwell in every one of Jesus' followers. You know the devil had to freak out a little bit Like, I can't defend that. I can't put up a defense against that. I I, I can't manipulate around that. So his best offense has been to create confusion around the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about the confusion the enemy creates around who is the Holy Spirit, who who he is. We've we've created him as a dove and a force and a wind and a fire. He's symbolized by those things, but the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. One God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the the Spirit, all equal in power, equal in supernatural ability, equal in deity, one God and three persons. So the devil comes to create confusion. One of the ways he creates confusion is who the Holy Spirit is. One of the ways he creates confusion is who we trust to lead us, we just talked about it. Let your heart be your leader, let let your fate be your guide, let good fortune lead you, let your emotions play in, let luck lead the way, let your feelings be the thing, let superstition be your leader. And if you just wear your lucky socks, you'll always play good. But the same God who through his breath placed the stars in the cosmos, the same God who says he created us In his image and likeness, the same God who knows the hairs, how many on each of our heads, he wants to personally lead you and me into all truth. I got to thinking about this this week and I saw a couple examples that reminded me. Have you ever seen somebody like, it's really big on Facebook, somebody will record a video of themselves in a generic form to say, hey, I just want to personally invite you. There's nothing personal about that, is it? Like they recorded it in front of a camera, maybe a camera operator, and try to make it sound like I've texted you individually. Dear Billy, hey Dave, made it personal. See, God wants to make it personal, personal. He knows the number of hairs on your heads. He wants to give you specific, unique instruction to guide you and me into all truth. Think about the weight of that statement that the God of the universe wants to personally guide you into all truth. Last last weekend we looked at one of the reasons the Holy Spirit came was to convict us. Not convict us and you have been found guilty, you have been sentenced, now you are about to be punished. No, he wants to convict us, which we understand means to convince us. The Holy Spirit came to convince us. If you turn to John chapter 16 and verse eight, Jesus reminds us of this. He says, He says, And when he, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Remember, we said that the world wants to believe, if I just do more good than bad, I'll make the cut. I'll pass God's judgment. If I do more good things, if I'm a relatively good person, if I'm better than most people, then I should make the cut. But the Holy Spirit came to convict us, to convince us, to teach us the expectation, the qualification for the presence of the Lord is perfection, and I am nowhere near that. So I need Jesus. It wasn't conviction of condemnation. It was a conviction of, listen, we missed the mark, but God loves you so much, he made another way. And that through Jesus, we can be saved. We can be found in right standing with God. He came to convict us of our right standing with God. And when I know who I am and whose I am in right standing with the God of the universe, then he came to convict us of the judgment that the enemy no longer has power and authority over my life, that the enemy has been defeated. And through Christ, I'm a new creation an heir to the throne, and the enemy no longer has power over me. So Jesus continues in his explanation in John chapter 16 and verse 12. He says, to the gathering of people still talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, there's so much more I wanna tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is a different setting, but he's saying the same thing. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future, which is a great lesson in the process of discipleship. Jesus could have been like, hey, everybody gather around. This is it. It's near the end. I'm about to go away. And there is a whole bunch of stuff that you have not yet figured out. So I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. Be prepared to take some good notes. This is going to be overwhelming, but you got this. Put your listening ears on. And then for the next, I don't know, week, month, year, he unloads all of the truths